Hi everyone, may peace be on you all. My name is Shayla and welcome to a very special episode of I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. Now I call this a special episode only because I really wasn't sure what to do this episode on. I mean, two days ago I know I uh, released my PSA episode on, you know, helping those people who are essential in our lives and maybe out of the jo- out of a job because of the COVID-19 lockdown. But I was really drawing a blank about what should my Friday episode be about. And then sort of like an epiphany, it came to me and um, I decided that I should, you know, do a segment on Ask a Muslim. And uh, I have a lot of Facebook friends that are not Muslims and so I recruited all of them and here it is your very special uh, episode of Ask a Muslim. So anyway, me and my friends, I've known these friends for a long long time, I mean years and years and we're very frank with each other and uh, I, in one of the many groups that we are in together, we, I just, you know, wrote a post and asked all of them that, you know, you guys have known me for a long time, you know anything goes with me. So what is what are the questions or question, you know, one per person or more than one per person, would you like a Muslim that you never really thought of asking? I mean, you, it could be a question about uh, my faith or me in general and how I practice my faith. I kept it very open, you know, no, no strings attached. And I got lots of responses, so this segment of Ask a Muslim um, is going to be in two parts, one this Friday and the next one next Friday. So uh, without further ado, I will get to the questions. And by the way, I discovered when I was asked all of these questions by my friends that I know a lot of Jessica's. So (laughs) in order to, uh, you know, keep the confusion at a minimum, I'm just going to, you know, use initials when it comes to the Jessica's that are asking me questions. So it's either going to be JP or JS because, you know, I just couldn't keep them all straight if I was going to, you know, use their first names. Anyway, so moving on to question number one. And um, this question, actually, I had three people ask me the same question. So I had JP, Denise, and Laura ask me, the same question in different ways so I'm just gonna take the gist of it so their question was and I'll put this in as question number one what are the appropriate greetings in Islam and you know what are the greetings that uh, those that are non-Muslims can um, say to uh, to those that they know that are Muslims for different uh, occasions that we celebrate so um, I guess one of the first and most basic greeting that we have is what we greet each other with and that is assalamu alaikum and that translates to may peace be on you that's my standard greeting whenever i start my podcast and that is what we say to each other and i know it's a little complicated but if you know somebody who's muslim and you know them well enough if you say salam that translates to peace and that is perfectly acceptable and I think we'd be overjoyed if you greeted us that way if you just said salam and uh, we obviously in return we, we would say walaikum assalam which translates to may peace be unto you as well 
and that would be the standard greeting just like you know for those who are not muslims they might have hi or hello for us it's it's assalamu alaikum but it's perfectly acceptable for anyone who's not muslim to to say salam and that would be enough and you know we'd be really really happy about it and as for the occasions that we celebrate and the greetings for those um our two major um occasions are generally uh, religious uh, religious occasions are eid are our two eids every year um the the eid al-fitr that comes at the end of our month of fasting ramadan um and the second uh, eid which is eid al-adha which comes right after our hajj um and again we don't have any fixed dates for these because we follow the lunar calendar as opposed to to the gregorian ca- calendar and so the greeting for both would be what we say to each other and again this also varies um culturally uh, for muslims in different parts of the world but from what what i've been taught is eid mubarak which means a happy eat to you and you can even say this in english uh, it's perfectly fine perfectly acceptable like you can say a happy eat to you eat greetings if eid mubarak is just a little um complicated it's perfectly fine and we would be overjoyed if you greeted us that way so eid mubarak happy eat to you eat greetings all perfectly acceptable Now um Laura also had a question about uh for our occasions um during our Eids what would be appropriate gifts and I think that's such a sweet question. Um I think uh, you could give almost anything. Um I mean if you know somebody who's Muslim and you you know what they'd like don't like um you can gift to them accordingly at Eid um really anything goes i mean most muslims are are foodies we love our food so if you know um some place that uh, sells appropriate um, i guess confections you could buy them chocolates we love chocolates we love dates you know you can most definitely um you know give us that that's great um dietary restrictions aside you know i mean nothing with pork alcohol and blood etc and meat products i would avoid so i mean any other is absolutely fine so you can give that and laura also and this would i would make this my question number 2 um uh, she also asked that about the dietary restrictions uh, because her son has a best friend who's muslim um Laura this is a tricky question. Speak I only say this this is a, as a tricky question because my gosh I mean if you knew the amount of um arguments this causes even within the Muslim community it you'd be amazed. Um okay I will um start with um I guess <laughs> the most basic dietary restrictions which we all all of us agree on no pork no alcohol no blood um nothing no nothing with blood in it um that would be the most basic um and when it comes to meat products we shy away from those because our meat has to be uh, prepared i mean beef chicken lamb whichever you can uh, think of has to be um has to be 
slaughtered in a certain way um, for us to be able to, to consume it. And we consider that halal. And um, so, I mean, if uh, your son's friend comes over um, for like snack time and, or anything like that, things like pizza, tater tots, french fries are all well and good. And you had mentioned that uh, you had found out that uh, that certain time uh, kinds of um, uh, fruit snacks are a restriction, and that is only because um, they contain gelatin. And gelatin, uh, the cheapest source is pork, usually, and we avoid it. Anything with gel- gelatin in it, I, you can call it fruit snacks, marshmallows. Um, those uh, we will not consume uh, un- uh, under most circumstances and most people will not even eat beer battered like fried fish and, and things like that thing um, sauces like um, you know restaurant sauces with um, which are made with wine or sherry we will avoid uh, that in usually and again um, this is not uh, universal I'm, I've got to warn you about that because a lot of people do and practice this very differently. So I think your best bet, Laura, is to just ask the parents that, you know, what is it that is okay that, you know, when uh, your son's friend comes over, you know, what what is it okay that he can have for snacks? And they'll be very open about this. I mean, we won't won't shy away from it. But uh, this is, oh gosh, one of those many hills that we will argue and die over amongst each other it just can be a huge mess i'm not even going to go into that so that was question number two and question number three and uh, this one you know i get a lot um because i wear the hijab and uh, and obviously it's about the hijab so um are the headdresses by choice are they expected what decides which type is worn and how do you feel about them uh and can you do uh anything with your hair underneath it now these uh, this question was also asked by two separate people one was lisbeth and um also by let me see oh sorry i've got a lot of paper pages in my hands trying to figure out what to you know which questions are where but uh, Lisbeth and Madeline they both asked me the same question and here's the thing again these this is one of uh, the many points of contention even within the Muslim community itself um, the hijab uh, if uh, many accept it as a an Islamic practice but culturally, and I say this for myself first, because I didn't always wear the hijab. When I grew up in Pakistan, none of the women in my family did because um, it, it just sort of culturally fell out of favor in Pakistan. And many women still don't. And it's not something that is seen as odd, but in many Muslim countries, it is something that is standard, is required for women to wear, especially when they go outside. And um, But you will also find that uh, not everybody wears the hijab the same way. Um, Madeline, uh, she was um, very observant when she asked about wearing the hijab, abaya, the chadar or the niqab. 
Um, the hijab is the standard head covering. Um, abaya is the long dress um, that is worn in many, many Middle Eastern countries and even in Pakistan, I've seen a lot of women wear it. Um, chadar is basically a, a long shawl that is wrapped loosely around the head and the niqab is basically the face veil. And I, I, I see this that um, a lot of these things are uh, um, culturally passed down like in Pakistan, you know, not wearing the hijab is sort of has become a cultural practice. Um, it's, uh, you know, come back into favor these days when I was growing up. I mean, not a lot of women did it. But again, it was not seen as something improper. So you will find many uh, Muslim women who don't wear it and many who do. And again, I don't question anybody's faith uh, because of it or because they don't wear it. Um, it. Faith is a very personal thing and many will disagree. Again, it's one of those hills we will die on within the Muslim community. But um, as someone who hasn't and now does, I still see it as something that is a very personal thing to do. And um, I don't really pass judgment on, on those things, but um, all of these things, uh, the hijab, the abaya, the chadar, and the niqab, I've seen um, can are those that can sort of um, occur culturally in different parts of the world. Um, it's interesting um, because uh, in many parts of uh, Africa, Muslim, uh, Muslim countries in Africa, their hijab is not the standard hijab that uh, you know people in the U.S. are used to seeing. It's basically a turban, and you know uh, underneath is a long dress. But you can completely see their face. It's just their hair isn't showing. But they consider that a hijab. So it's not what most people in the West see in the media that is the standard hijab. I mean, I don't even think there is a standard hijab anymore. I mean, if you go to, I mean, I, I, I remember when I had first started taking the hijab a couple of years ago, I was not sure how to wear it. And I went onto YouTube because apparently there's a lot of tutorials out there about how to wrap the hijab. And I was sitting there and there was this lady, um, you know, she was demonstrating a very pretty style of doing this. And I kid you not, um, she, for that one hijab style, she used six different hijabs underneath that big main hijab. And I'm sitting there in awe because yes, the end result is spectacular, but I'm pretty sure that took about 45 minutes for her to put on. I was like, no, this is not going to ever happen for me. I'm more of a wrap and run kind of girl. And, you know, I will do the whole pull on hijab and everything. And I was like, I'm just too busy for that. So anyway, and as for uh, is, um, how I feel about it, um, as uh, Elizabeth asked me, um, um, I think my choice um, may have been more of an unusual choice than what most women um, do the hijab for. For a lot of women, um, it, it is more of a devotion to faith that they want to be um, more devoted to practicing Islam and that is why they wear the hijab. And um, for me personally, I... 
I, I think it came about with from the decision that if I'm going to be raising my children, my two sons in the U.S., I should be able to give them an example that that especially when times, especially in the uh, in the U.S., it can be tricky to be visibly Muslim. That uh, it does open you up to some 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 backlashes at times i'm not saying all the time but it can but i i just wanted to give them an example that it's okay to be visibly muslim and still live your everyday life that they should not be ashamed of being muslim and that is one of the 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 reason the main reasons why i had personally started taking the hijab and um, again, I, I, I have no regrets about it, uh, personally. It was not easy, let me tell you. I mean, because I'm living in Dallas and the average summer de- temperature can go up to be above 100 degrees. It's not easy, but hey, central air conditioning, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that. No, but, but really, it's, it is an act of faith, but I, I have no regrets about it, definitely. And uh, so we're moving on to question number four. And uh, question number four was by uh, actually by Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, and let me see, uh, yeah, just by Elizabeth. Yes, yeah, <laughs> question number four was, was by Elizabeth. And she asked, and uh, Elizabeth is a fellow, um, she, she, she also lives in Dallas, and she has best friends who are Muslims. and. What she wanted to ask is, um, how do we get our hair cut? Uh, especially when women do the hijab, how how is it that we do haircuts, and how do we choose doctors? And very good question. Thank you for asking, Elizabeth, because um, it, it was one of those things that was tricky after I started wearing it, wearing a hijab, um, because not everybody um, has a separate space for. Um, like, like a separate enclosed space where they would be willing to cut our, our hair. But I have found uh, many um, hairdressers, especially in Dallas, because we have such a huge Muslim population that are open to it. I just, you know, I have, um, I have a, a very, my current hairstylist, she's Jewish and she, she's very understanding, you know, and they also have certain sects in, the, uh, in, the, in, in Judaism that also cover their, uh, their hair. And uh, she was very, very accepting about it, very open about it. And, you know, she has her own private uh, salon space. And whenever I come over, she, um, you know, she puts on curtains and, you know, makes, she makes sure that nobody can see in to her, her salon suite. And she cuts and dyes my hair. And yes, you can do anything with your hair under the hijab. My hair is currently pink, as I had mentioned before. So I dye it and cut it all the time. You know, there is no restrictions with that. And as for doctors, um, well, um, now this is a little tricky. Again, there are many opinions, uh, religious opinions about this. But um, the way I go about it, and um, uh, again, this is just a personal opinion, just my thing. It's it's that that I um, I I usually generally search up first for a female doctor, whether it be my general practitioner, OBGYN, 
um, anything that is just, you know, standard routine tests, you know, I go to them once a year and maybe like if it's anything urgent, I get really sick, uh, you know, maybe twice a year. It's not a frequent visit thing. It's not an emergency. But when it comes to emergency situations, and uh, again, this is my personal opinion, please don't like quote me on this as a religious um, like an authority and I probably should have given a disclaimer that I'm not a religious authority most of these things are my personal opinions because quite frankly my religious knowledge and you know background knowledge of religion is abysmal as at best but anyway uh, bottom line is if it's an emergency I have seen male doctors um, I remember a few years back I had a, a tumor in my abdomen and I had to do consultations with male doctors because they were the best that were there and I went to them and I had uh, you know surgery uh, physical examinations then they made sure you know they're very respectful they understand that you know they come uh, that we come from Muslim backgrounds that uh, there are uh, you know they they don't make you feel uncomfortable. I, I'm, I'm very grateful to all my doctors who I've been to that they've been very understanding about these things. But uh, yes, first preference is generally that it be a female doctor. If, it, if it's a female uh, Muslim doctor, that's great, but that's not always uh, easily accessible. So, uh, you know, female doctor is generally first choice. Now, moving on to question number five by my friend Maria. Now, I had a um, I, I was hesitant to answer this question, um, not because I usually shy away from controversial topics or anything um, like that would put me in the spot. I don't usually. Um, but the only reason, um, let, me, let me read out the question first before I get into the explanation of why I hesitated. Uh, Maria's question was, how do I feel about the verses in the Quran that talk about doing harm to non-believers and infidels. Is this a widely accepted view or are there varying interpretations depending on the sect, country, etc.? Now, the reason I, I hesitate to answer this question is only and only because my religious knowledge of Islam is, as I've mentioned before, a disclaimer, is is very poor, sadly. Um, and. Uh, I, I would not want to give a definitive answer to this only because of that. Um, but what I have done, and I had to do this for you, Maria, you better appreciate this. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but I, you know, I hadn't made a website for my podcast before, but I felt so strongly about wanting to, to give Maria an answer for this that I made a website and I made a specific page that would uh, give knowledgeable references to questions like this which I can't answer myself and I put the link to my website with uh, uh, for those references so I hope Maria if you're listening to this that you can click on the link and get a, um, a, a more educated answer to this question um, which which is uh, obviously provided by well-versed um, Islamic scholars I mean, better answer than I could give to you. But what I can tell you this, uh, tell you, Maria, is is this, that a lot of verses that you hear that are are like this 
are a lot of time taken out of context. Um, there is a history to uh, Quranic revelations and there are a lot of things that are very time, sp uh, time period and situation specific. And um, I guess um, the best way you can think about it is if you took any book at random. Um, let me give you an example. I'm like currently reading out uh, Harry Potter to my kids. It's because they love hearing me read out stories and funny voices and everything. And let me read out a passage from one of the books. I'm not even, not even going to tell you which one. So this paragraph just says she slapped Malfoy around the face with all the strength strength she could muster Malfoy staggered Harry Ron Crabbe and Goyle stood flabbergasted as Hermione raised her hand again now if you heard just that paragraph from any of the books you would only be and you didn't know anything about Harry Potter the story or about Hermione or about Draco Malfoy or about Harry Potter, any, any one of those characters, the only thing you'd be able to get from that, that brief paragraph is that Hermione was this crazed girl, woman, whatever, whatever you want to perceive, that was prone to violence towards boys, when that is not the case. There was an entire situation that built up to this point. And I know, I mean, this is probably not even a, a very similar anal analogy to a religious text, but I'm just, it's just a way to explain that certain things, when taken out of context, can create different perceptions. And um, unfortunately, when you hear in the media some of these verses being misquoted, it can create perceptions that are that can be pretty pretty far from what they are actually about. So I, I'm sorry, Maria, I can't answer you directly, but please do click on the link. And I have given you um, two uh, screenshots of a really well thought out. Um, answer not thought out well research answers to the question you have they would be able, able to uh, give you a better answer to your question so now moving on to question number six and that was again by my friend Madeline and her question was um, can you talk about the differences culturally between observant Muslims and non-observant Muslims how are non-observant Muslims seen by people who are observant? Do people feel that, that non-observant people should take part in cultural events and in ceremonies like, uh, uh, like the coming-of-age circumcision? Now, <laughs> um, when she posted this question, it started a huge debate on um, circumcision and I was a little confused because um, that was the first time I'd ever heard of um, a coming-of-age circumcision ceremony and uh, apparently it's something that is practiced in parts of uh, Turkey and I, I would imagine other uh, uh, other Muslim countries too I just wasn't aware of it but anyway uh, as to her question about those who are non-observant Muslims and um, how they are uh, they are perceived and culturally differences between observant and non-observant Muslims it's a it's a tricky i think balance madeline um i know a lot of uh, muslims that are non-observant and 
I think what I, the the easiest answer I can give to you for that is is that there is an unwritten rule that you really if they're your friends especially you really don't sort of venture into that territory with them um it's it's sort of weird it's like you know that the person is an observant but you're respectful of the fact and it's fine and um uh and as part as uh, when it comes to like religious events i know some uh, non-observant muslims who do partake in eid and i know some that will, even though they may not do um um that like observe like maybe the five daily prayers um and things like that but they do uh, make it a point to fast in ramadan and they do celebrate eid and um if i had to give you one answer to it i think the what i do personally is that i don't really venture into that i mean it is something that is um whether you're observant or non-observant is is a, is a personal choice that people do make and i don't really pass judgment on it you um you know you respect certain boundaries of those things and uh, and i've seen that most of my the non-observant friends they're very respectful of my boundaries as well i mean if um i you know went to them or, or i went to their house and i asked that if i could have a spot to pray they were very very uh you know they're respectful of that they'll give me a quiet corner to to pray in and, and you know there's, there's never really a conflict when it comes to that so i hope i answered your question madeline um and then question number eight if not eight question number seven uh, by my friend js um jessica s <laughs> Um what would you want us to teach our non-muslim children about Islam and Muslims and it's so sweet of her to um you know really ask that question and even think uh in those terms I think I and uh, you know again this is not just for those um if, uh, what you would want I mean if what I would want to impart on my children and what anybody should impart on their children is that um just because that somebody has beliefs and ways of life that are different than our own it is uh, our primary duty to to other people is to give them respect irrespective of the fact whether we agree with them or not and i think that is not just for your kids js i know i know i love your family they're they're <laughs> they're the, they're the weirdest but they're the best um but um i think respect is uh is such a great part of what we can teach our children and i struggle sometimes with my kids too you know it's it's hard with kids because they only see things in black and white and uh again life is a, a lot of gray so if I and everybody can teach our kids that when you meet anybody from any cultural background, religious background and yet you're able to teach you're able to meet them with with respect 
within their own circle and your own circle and not i mean i again you teach your children respect but they should not have to endure disrespect from anybody else either so give respect get respect that sort of thing and if we can teach all our children uh, that i think this world would definitely definitely be at a better place so with that i will uh, end this week's episode and see you next week for part two where i tackle all the other questions i got from all my wonderful friends so until then may peace be on you all and take care Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.